what horrifies me is these are individual human lives that are ending in the most horrific, horrific ways. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, December 7th. Today, I'm joined by Julia Yaffe to discuss some of the reported horrors visited upon the Israeli women who were kidnapped by Hamas on October 7th, and how their stories are being caught up in the political rhetoric swirling around the war. And later, Bill Cohan swings by for an update on Ari Emanuel's plan to take Endeavor, his mega entertainment conglomerate, private again, and why he might already be in trouble with shareholders. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The ChiliPad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. ChiliPad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com. Dot M-E slash powers, because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. It is December 7th. It's officially two months since Hamas invaded parts of Israel, killed more than 1,200 people, uh, abducted many, and... Lately, we have learned among the women who were kidnapped and taken into Gaza, there are, to use the words of Joe Biden, horrific accounts of unimaginable cruelty with some of these hostages who have been released. And we don't even know, but can expect similar stories for people who are still being held in Gaza, Israelis. I'm joined today by Julia Yaffe to discuss some of this and the language swirling around it. Um, Julia, I did want to ask you, about Biden's comments this week. He obviously has been uh, you know, a, a very forceful ally of, of Israel in their war against Hamas in Gaza, which it needs to be said has 
killed around 15,000 people. Um, I think, you know, we could say if you looked up the definition of disproportionate in the dictionary, uh, it needs to be said that those numbers uh, don't totally square with the 1,200 people who were killed on October 7th. But this is not an episode where we are going to operate in moral equivocation. Uh, <laughs> unlike some people on the left here in the United States have in recent days, what Biden said was there are, quote, reports of women raped, repeatedly raped, and their bodies being mutilated while still alive, of women, corpses being desecrated, Hamas terrorists inflicting as much pain and suffering on women and girls as possible, and then murdering them. And Biden said it is appalling. That is an understatement. The human rights chief at the UN has said it's painfully clear uh, that some of these sexual crimes committed by Hamas need investigation. This is awful. This is just awful, awful, awful stuff that uh, needs not to be minimized. What's jumped out at you about this storyline in recent days? Well, a few things have jumped out at me. One is the sheer insanity of the kinds of abuse that has been reported, lopping off breasts, mutilating genitalia, to the point where the sex of a body could not be identified by first responders. I mean, just horrific, horrific stuff that speaks to a kind of um, mania and rage. And, you know, dehumanization has been thrown around a lot in this conflict. We've known about rape and sexual assault from the very beginning. Uh, but now as evidence is being uh, collected, as testimonies are being collected, and frankly, as the Israeli government is pushing this story out before it seemed it was trying to protect the Israeli population and alluding to these crimes and saying, you know, the press would say, we're not going to publish these details, Israeli press would say, we're not going to publish these details, etc., but now the it seems the uh, Israeli side is actively pushing this information out there because of all the moral equivocating that's been going on on the left, basically in order to say, this is what you're defending. Like, how can you be for an egalitarian future? How can you be progressive if you defend rape and sexual assault? But yeah, what, what really stuck out to me was that the people who did this the Hamas militants, the Islamic Jihad militants who did this, and not just the rape, but the killing as well, the way in which people were killed and mutilated and hunted down, it just speaks to the fact that Hamas doesn't see Israelis as people either, right? Like there is, again, dehumanization, that term has been thrown around a lot, but it is certainly true, I think, of how Hamas saw its victims. What has also jumped out at me is the defense of this as, you know, there were no rape kits, like you said. Now we're seeing, you know, there were reports yesterday, again, they, it comes from the Israeli government. We don't know for sure, but there are some reports, including from hostages, families, that the hostages were given clonopin, which is a kind of tranquilizer, anti-anxiety medication, uh, was given to hostages before they were released so that these... Um, uh, these taped hostage releases would look much more amicable, which of course the left has insanely seized on as like, see, Hamas is actually really nice. The hostages are sad to leave them. 
there's this meme going around about this um, young teenage girl who was uh, taken hostage at uh, the Nova rave that she, you know, the meme is basically that she fell in love with one of her Hamas captors and was sad to leave him. Like, completely insane shit. I haven't seen that. That's crazy. Really? It's insane. It's insane shit. But now what I'm seeing today is that, like, people defending Clonopin. Like, how dare <laughs> you smear Clonopin? Clonopin is not is a is a, a very important tool in the anti-anxiety toolkit. It's a and it is. But yeah. they're like, it's not a date rape drug. How dare you smear Clonopin? I'm like, where the fuck are we? Can we get out of this rabbit hole? Like, this is insane. The discourse on this is insane. And that to answer your question, that is one of the things that jumps out at me. No, I think, uh, look, and it's easy to cherry pick examples from social media and be like, the entire left thinks this or the entire, you know, free Palestine movement thinks this. Um, no, I don't think that's uh, true no, either. No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think that's yeah. true. But I mean, the, the examples are batshit. I think the <laughs> the two main ones that I am thinking about are one is is a very online person, which is Bernie Sanders, former spokesperson, Brianna Joy Gray, who's become sort of like a professional leftist, like her bank account depends on uh, creating outrageous leftist content that gets attention, uh, like a lot of people on the internet. But she did say that, uh, you know, the trope of believe all women was always stupid. Uh, We don't know. There's no evidence. There's no corroborate. Oh, yeah. There's no corroborated evidence of this yet. Like, we don't have rape kits, uh, you know, just basically casting doubt on the accounts of uh, these women. And again, like I said, that that is a person who is incentivized to be as loud as possible at all times. The other big example that happened in recent days was Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal from Washington, a member of the House Progressive Caucus, mm-hmm. was on CNN with Dana Bash. And, and, you know, Dana was pressing her about these rapes and Jayapal was equivocating, uh, basically you know, condemning rape, but we can't lose sight of the deaths, uh, in Gaza. And like, this is, this is the thing you are, you you should be able to just loudly condemn this violence on its own moral terms without saying, but also, and so that has caused some fissures, even more fissures in the house democratic caucus. Some of her democratic colleagues, want to censure her. She's come out since then and, you know, backed off and said, I did not mean to minimize rape. But like the, all of this is to say, and this goes back to some of our very early conversations about this, Julia, like people's first instinct with this is to put on their team Jersey and mm-hmm. reason backwards from that. And, yes. and, and that clouds fact-based judgments and leads to moral equivocations that mm-hmm. uh, debase uh, intellectual discourse around this, and uh, you know that that's something that's surrounded Israel and Palestine for 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 decades. But it is so magnified, exacerbated, and dumbed down by social yeah. media and the instinct to post first and think later. Well, I think yeah, and so much of it is about virtue signaling and not thinking about what it is you're putting up. Also, like I do think that. The fact that, like, the the Israeli government is clearly pushing this narrative out there, and it's fact-based about the rape and the sexual assault. But what makes me a little bit uncomfortable uh, as a woman, as a Jew, as a liberal Zionist, is the fact that it is using the 
horrific torture and experience and deaths of these women in order to kind of checkmate people like Pramila Jayapal, right? To say, well, how about this? Can you condemn this? Surely you can condemn, you know, somebody who had a knife stuck in her vagina before she was killed. And if you can't condemn that, then you're an anti-Semite. And it's like, it also becomes, and to me, it's also an, uh, emblematic of this whole two-month war, is that none of these tragedies and horrors can just be held and grieved. And like, you can't post something about Palestinian children being killed in these airstrikes without being like, I can't, you know, those are crisis actors, blah, 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 right? Are you, and you can't post about Israeli women being raped and mutilated without it being like, this is, as somebody called, uh, said about my Puck article about this, you know, this is Zionist horseshit. It, and it's just, it, like you said, is you, you put on the team jersey and then you speculate from there. But what, what horrifies me is these are individual human lives that are ending in the most horrific, horrific ways. And uh, I had a conversation with a good friend about this early on, about how distressing it was to talk to people who weren't starting from a place of grief and sadness when it comes to this, that, that there are people who are starting from a place of rage and holier than thou virtue signaling and politicking and who are very comfortable turning real people's lives and experiences into pawns. And I'm seeing that on both sides of the equation. Um, like, for example, seeing Elise Stefanik in a, in a House hearing the other day grill these uh, college presidents who were giving this kind of legalistic, void where prohibited bullshit about how, in some cases, calling for a genocide against Jews would be uh, harassment. But also it's like, it's Elise Stefanik doing it, right? Who is a thousand percent in the tank for Trump, who uh, was defending the Proud Boys, who who refused to condemn people who said Jews will not replace us, right? And so I watched that and I'm like, great, these non-Jewish people have made Jews into a political football. And uh, other people have made, made dead Palestinian babies into a political football. And kind of the broader cosmic point I want to make here is that this is very real for a lot of people. There are people who are living with this trauma, who are living with this death constantly on the ground. It is not just about a social media post for you to get more likes and more clicks. Like this is real fucking stuff and have a little bit of humility. Uh, that is an important point to finish on, actually. Like, and I've been thinking about that since the beginning of this. The, the war is not yours. Yeah. It's not your content. It's not for your content. It's not for your clicks yeah. and attention. And it's not for your saintly virtue. Yeah. Julia, thank you so much for joining me and talking about this. Thank you, Peter. When we come back, Bill Cohan is here to talk about Ari Emanuel and Endeavor. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. 
Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be. netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Ben Landy here with Bill Cohan. Hey, Bill. Hey, Ben. Great to be here with you as always. Great to see you. So we wanted to have you back on for an update on your old frenemy, Ari Emanuel, and his entertainment conglomerate, Endeavor Holdings, which they announced last month that the company was considering, quote, strategic alternatives, aka taking the whole company private again, since Wall Street wasn't really valuing this thing the way that Ari wanted. But what's the latest with the deal? Because it's been a couple of weeks since then. It seems like it's all been pretty quiet. Yeah, it's it's been about six weeks since uh, Ari let it slip uh, in a, a public filing that uh, Endeavor was considering strategic alternatives, which was, of course, Wall Street lingo for putting the company up for sale. And then that was followed pretty quickly by Silver Lake Partners, the you know big California-based private equity firm uh, that already was Endeavor's largest shareholder and big backer for a long time now, uh, which owns, still owns about two-thirds of the company, that they were considering taking, uh, buying the rest of Endeavor that it didn't own and taking it private. So, I mean, you know, that's sort of like this uh, one-two punch. I mean, it's one thing to say, 
Uh, the company's up for sale. Uh, it's another thing to say, you know, your largest shareholder wants to take it private. Of course, that caused the stock to explode. It's sort of been up, you know, 35% or so since then after languishing for sort of more than a year. And uh, so now basically the stock is trading uh, back at its uh, IPO price. So, I mean, I guess Ari has succeeded in, in making that happen. But, you know, you know where's the deal, uh, Ari? Uh, you know, six weeks uh, have gone by. That's kind of a long time to sort of watch and see when the wheels were obviously set, were definitely set in motion by their uh, October announcement. So Wall Street just sort of sits and waits and, uh, you know, and waits to see what Ari and Silver Lake are up to here. Bill, do you think Silver Lake made a mistake in announcing right away that they were considering buying out the rest of the company, taking it private? Because now the stock is trading so high. It sounds like you know, you're know you saying they'd have to buy it for way more than the market was previously saying Endeavor was worth. Is the premium, um, and usually there's a, there's a premium when you have a, a M&A deal like this, is that already baked into the current price? And would Silver Lake then have to potentially buy it for less than it's trading now? Or would they want to? Yeah, this is not, uh, you know, M- M&A 101 here, Ben. I don't think uh, Ari should have announced that uh, it was considering strategic alternatives for uh, the company, which probably forced Silver Lake to say, you know, what they were up to. I don't know if there was some sort of leak or they expected a leak or this was the plan all along to drive the stock price up. But, you know, this is a very now complicated situation that didn't need to happen. In other words, if they had just uh, kept quiet and, you know, announced that Silver Lake was making an offer to buy the rest of Endeavor that that it didn't already own uh, at some price, then that's when the stock price would have jumped up, probably uh, to approaching the price that Silver Lake was offering to take it private. Now, by making this announcement, uh, the stock price jumps up. And then with Silver Lake uh, saying that they are uh, considering taking, buying the rest of the company that they don't already own, which they already control. So, I mean, it kind of boxes out anyone else coming along uh, to buy the company. And so then the stock jumps up, okay, because of the fact that, you know, an insider is talking about taking buying the rest of the company they don't own uh that a special committee of the board has to be formed and now the special committee of the and i believe that's um led by ursula burns the former ceo of xerox who's been on the endeavor board and so now she's got the task of sort of you know coming up with a hiring a banker and coming up with what is quote a fair price for shareholders well i mean so silver lake on the one hand, it's two-thirds of the stock that it owns, you know, it owns two-thirds of Endeavor. That price has uh, increased dramatically as a result of the announcement. But, you know, now to buy the rest of the stock that they don't own, you know, they're obviously having to pay more than had they kept quiet. So now how do you reach, quote-unquote, a fair price? Well, obviously they're going to, you know, look back to the so-called normalized price before the announcement which is going to you know, piss off uh, the ARBs who bought after the announcement. And it's probably going to piss off you know, retail investors who bought on the IPO at $24 a share 
and now it's trading again at $24 a share and not much more. And it's unlikely that Silver Lake is going to pay more than than where it's trading today, or maybe even less because it ran up so much after the announcement. So this has now become, you know, quite a convoluted situation. All of it self-inflicted, wasn't necessary to do it this way. And I'm not sure why uh, Endeavor did this. Bill, do you think the reason for the delay is that just they need to work through all of that, that it takes time to find a banker to discuss a fair price, that it takes time to, to bring the board together and, and talk through all this stuff? Or do you think there's also some other higher level strategy and sort of waiting for the deal euphoria to die down, that, that at a certain point, investors will kind of get tired of, of waiting around and that the stock will begin to drop back towards its uh, pre-deal chatter price? Again, that's that's part of the conundrum here. On the one hand, you know, they they made this announcement, Silver Lake in effect being by far the largest shareholder, said it wants to buy the rest, kind of boxing out any other bidders. I mean, who's gonna be able to compete with Silver Lake? I mean, Silver Lake could just nix any other buyer just by saying no, unless somebody comes in, you know, with a hugely a uh, higher price. And of course, that's unlikely to happen because it's a hodgepodge of businesses to begin with that only, you know, Ari's mother could love. And therefore, you know, the price is already zoomed up 35% as a result of the announcement. So I don't see any other bidders here. It's a long way of answering that question. So now how do you deal with Silver Lake? Well, you're right. You do have to appoint a special committee of the board. Okay, that can take couple of minutes. Then you have to go hire a banker, you know, run a little beauty contest. I know there was a beauty contest. I'm not sure who was hired yet, um, but a banker was hired. And then they could have to do their deliberations, their analysis, you know, they have to contact other potential buyers to find out that whether they might be interested or not. That takes time. Probably they'll come back and discover that nobody else is interested. That helps bolster the case for Silver Lake, of course. And then Silver Lake has to actually make their proposal to buy the company. And I suspect that that'll be, you know, it's certainly not going to be a premium to where it is now. It might even be less than now based on how far the stock is run. You know, that's going to take time to convince the board that that, the special committee of the board, that that makes sense, that this sort of take under makes sense, because obviously shareholders are going to be burned. That could result in shareholder lawsuits. Uh, If they don't do a deal, if they walk away uh, or they can't agree on, quote unquote, a fair price, then that that begins to look a lot like, you know, Elon Musk uh, and, you know, taking, you know, going to take Tesla private at 420 a share of funding secured. That resulted in a bunch of shareholder lawsuits. Again, this is like a, you know, in my mind, a massive M&A tactic and strategic error on Ari's part by, you know, announcing this and then having Silver Lake say soon thereafter that they're thinking of taking it private. They, they've just really boxed themselves into a very difficult situation. And they're very likely to get sued no matter what they do here uh, by shareholders, which, of course, there are plenty of shareholder strike lawyers just waiting to pounce on this as they are waiting to pounce on most deals. Uh, and this one, they just sort of added to their difficulty by announcing all this six weeks ago and then doing absolutely nothing, uh, uh, no further announcements. Uh, 
you know, I, I'm sure Ari uh, has been frustrated by the fact that this, you know, the, you know, since the IPO, the stock has traded down considerably. I'm sure, he's frustrated by the fact that his rivals over at, uh, you know, CAA got the, you know, the buyout, you know, you know eight billion dollar uh, valuation from Francois Pinot. So, you know, I'm sure his competitive juices are running. I'm sure he wants to maybe sell some of his stock to Silver Lake and then retain his stock, a bunch of it, and get re-upped on his contract to continue to lead this thing and then, you know, engineer a sale or an IPO, you know, down the road again for uh, another big payday. You know, Ari's all about about the Benjamins here, uh, uh, Ben, speaking of Benjamins. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he's going to figure out a way to uh, twist and turn this thing into more money for Ari uh, and Patrick. Yeah, Bill, we will um, we'll see what happens. Got to leave it there. But thank you, as always, for dropping by. Pleasure. Thank you, Ben. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.